What's up, guys? I'm Logan Bodion, and I'm guest. Ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ben's guest on Big Fat Five. <laughs> I'm keeping that. That's it. If that, if that's okay, man. <laughs> I'm Ben's guest on Big Fat Five. What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest is Logan Bodion, a New Orleans-raised, now LA-based musician, and he can do it all. I don't even remember how I first heard about Logan, but I've been following him for a while now, and I was really excited to have him on the show. He certainly identifies as a drummer, but he's also a sought-after guitarist, bassist, and keyboardist, and I'm sure the list goes on and on. Recently, he toured as the drummer for Barnes Courtney and the bassist for Palais Royale. He's a working LA musician, and he's just a cool guy. His perspectives are cool. His hair is cool. You won't be able to see it, but his shirt was pretty cool. Anyways, there's a lot of great insight in this one, and so here are the five influential happenings that shaped Logan into the consistently working hired guy he is today. Cheers. How would you describe yourself as a drummer? Man, um, so it's actually funny because once we get into my my five records, this was really hard for me because growing up, and even to this day, I don't really listen to music as a drummer ever. It's like the last thing I care about. I'm super like, I'm in love with vocal melodies and like hooks and pop music and like, you know, or even in all the rock music I listen to, it's always like, what's melodic? what's um and i was a guitar player growing up and so it was always guitar first vocals and then as i got older i started kind of recognizing oh i think i'm pretty good at this drum thing maybe i should uh <laughs> pay a little more attention um so as a drummer i think i'm really like um i'm really present in what everyone else is doing i think i play drums like a guitar player because i'm always feeding off whoever's playing guitar because it's the first thing i would be thinking about is like what's the guitar doing and as a guitar player i always realized that was really more like right hand rhythmic heavy which is kind of where the and the drumming comes in ironically because i'm left-handed and i play everything right-handed but it kind of made sense that like that part of it was locked in so and i've just always been in bands with like great guitar players that were writing from a standpoint of all right we're gonna get the guitar music first we'll add vocals at the end you know we'll write the song later uh but let's get guitar down drums so it's always like following um not even the bass you know bass would come later it's like guitar first then drums and we'll do the bass based on the drums uh so i like to think of myself as like a very um lyrical and melodic kind of player even though it's not really a melodic instrument right so I kind of just go in that realm. I don't really think about beats or like sick grooves. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I like to think I do in the long term, but it, my head is never like, where's the groove at? It's like, all right, what's, where's the song going melodically and how can drumming be just a part of that? You know? Yeah. Well, speaking of guitarists, can you talk a little bit about your timeline? And we will get into some of the marching stuff later, which I was going to talk about. Yeah. But uh, from New Orleans and then going to L.A. and, of course, Moon Honey. And speaking of guitarist, Andrew Martin, who is right. so good at what he does. Um, yeah. You've collaborated with him a bunch throughout the years. But um, can you yeah, can you kind of talk about that timeline? Absolutely. And funny, my my I don't know if you can kind of tell, but my five records are kind of like 
chronological uh year wise because they kind of tell the story of like how i even ended up playing drums in the first place i appreciate um, that yeah yeah but the og timeline is you know grew up in new orleans uh in the 90s and it's funny because like if you liked rock music you were so lame you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah we were a hip-hop dominant city cash money records was big no limit juvenile back that ass up came out when i was in fifth grade you know it was mm -hmm. like took over the whole world and scene you know growing up it's like playing guitar but then like blink 182 came out in that kind of time and like it's funny because obviously everyone my age travis barker's got to be in there but growing up i wanted to be tom DeLong. you know i wanted to play guitar and do that thing or be a singer or be some other like frontman kind of vibe um but then the marching band thing happened and that's really where drumming like became real because i was doing it every day at school and then I was super invested in doing it in high school. And it's like, I literally went to college to do that. You know, it's like, I'm going to go play in drumline. I don't even care about my degree, which I'll talk about more in the records. But, uh, but in all that time in high school, I was in like screamo punk, you know, just like crazy bands at the all ages venue, you know? Uh, and Andrew was a guy who was living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana at the time. And we would like cross we would play shows with each other like because it was a big deal to play an hour away in those days you know oh, like yeah. 16 like we're driving an hour we're gonna play baton rouge and we're gonna play with this band who's so sick and so he That's was a just, tour for a young kid that was a tour to yeah, city, like, yeah let's borrow mom's suv if we're lucky enough yeah you know throw the gear in or like oh shit brian got uh <laughs> grounded for getting a b he can't come play the baton rouge show you know so we gotta get a new bass player that doesn't know the songs so we met kind of in that time and i was playing guitar but everyone knew i was a drummer because you know i was transitioning into college where it's like i'm playing drums it's what i do so he we were just aware of each other for the longest time to guitar players and screamo bands and he was also where i played drums and just like we'd hang out some because i went to college in baton rouge where he lived and so we would hang out from time to time and I would get like MySpace messages like, hey, dude, starting a new thing, like need you to play drums. And I would go over to his house and play drums. And then, you know, some dude would quit. It just would always fall through because we were just young kids and like, you know, uh, partying and, you know, just trying to get famous at the same time. It was kind of like, a, you know, and it was the MySpace days. So you can make a new band every day as yep. long as you had a cool picture, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so graduated i was living in baton rouge and um i was looking for a place to play drums uh because i lived i had a, like a condo in college where it just wasn't happening so like you know i had a couple buddies like you can set up at my church and we could play for like an hour and then you could take them home and i knew even going back to those those days that andrew had this crazy like house out in the wooded swamp area that used to be a horse stable that was converted into a three-bedroom and he would like crank up three orange full stacks and just rip. And so I was like, dude, I need to move into your house. It's like, is there a room? He's like, ah, my roommate just moved out. So I moved in, was just playing drums all the time. The band Moon Honey that you brought up that he was in at the time, one of our great friends, Jermaine, who's probably the best bass player of all time, was playing drums at that project. And he's like, man, I'm just really enjoying drums, you know? And I was like, ah, can I play drums? Like, I kind of want to be in this band with you guys but he's like ah, i'm just vibing drums dog i'm like all right cool so it never 
happens. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna go move to Nashville and try to like uh, be a professional touring drummer. And I was dating a girl at the time that moved out there. And I went out, the relationship ended. I was there for six months, really loved it. I think Nashville's great. Everyone was so awesome, had some great friends there. But six months in, it was getting kind of cold outside, you know, it's December. And uh, Andrew and Jess, the singer of Moon Honey at the time, had moved out to LA and they called me and they're like, hey, you want to come move here and play drums? We have a tour in a month. I was like, all right. So I packed up two suitcases on southwest flew out here had some friends from louisiana that were coming out on tour bring my drums in their trailer oh shit and never looked back been here seven years now yeah well i want to say i saw because i man i must have been like 2017 and i remember it because i got really sick after one of the shows but you uh, moon honey had a residency um yeah, at the, at the Echoplex, yeah. Um, For Echoplex, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the bigger room, just so everyone knows. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> the big, the, the Stones big... have played there, just so you know, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the big one. <laughs> yeah, I remember. But then looking at, did you always play drums in Moon Honey, Moon Honey or did you play keys some? Did you kind of j- jump around? I played keys, yeah, yeah. I played keys some. So I, when I lived in Baton Rouge still, and Jermaine was still the drummer, and we were just all in Louisiana, like trying to go on van tours across the country. I was like, well, whatever y'all need me to do, I'll do it. And they're like, well, we're trying to get a keyboard player. And I was like, well, I play guitar, so I know the chord progressions. I could probably, I know major and minor chords enough on keys. So I did like a two month stint on keys. And then when they moved to LA, the OG drummer was like going back to grad school in Indiana to get a PhD. So he's like, I'm not moving to LA. And so that's when I, came okay. out here and started playing drums but then there were other times where like oh the keyboard player and was doing like moog sub bass oh he can't make it can you jump back on keys and do like bass on this hand and keys on this hand and we'll just get a re- replacement drummer so we it was always just like and that's kind of always been my thing like just put me on the stage whatever it needs to be like i i kind of see it more like i'm a athlete and wherever coach needs me you know to fill the role i'm down which we we will get into, I'm, I'm assuming. But you also you play bass in Poly Royale, mm-hmm. not drums, because they have yeah. a drummer, obviously. Yeah. Um, right. And that, so yeah, that, that just out. started. So uh, yeah, that's a, that's a new. I've known those guys forever, and they've, you know, I've been around and I've subbed on guitar for them for Andrew before and stuff. But I think now is the start of me. You know, the details aren't really hashed out yet with management and everything, but. I should be playing bass with them. You sh- people should see me out there playing bass with those guys for the rest of the year, hopefully. Yeah, and those are busy guys, too. And I'm interested because everyone's different, like we were talking about before we came on. So when you're not on tour, which it looks like it's very few and far between these days, you travel a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a typical daily routine for you, if you even have one? And it's fine to say I have Man. no idea how to answer that. <laughs> No, I do. And I was just talking about this with someone because uh, it's pretty, well, it depends, you know, pre, pre COVID, it was one thing, but two years of COVID was another thing. And now it's like a third thing during COVID. It was incredible. I, I surf and I love the beach and at the time. Like I had just come off. I was actually drum teching a bunch right before COVID with this Japanese. Oh, I actually can't say who it is. I have NDA. Sorry. Uh, no, it was with a band. There you go. <laughs> It was with a band that, you know, it was a pretty good money gig. So when uh, the employment thing hit, I was, it looked to the government like I was making, you know, six figures Hell yeah. in a year, you know? So I got like the maximum <laughs> thing. And I was literally just like, 
I'm a pro surfer now. Like I can just, I'm making money every week to go to the beach every day. So for the last two years, I literally went to the beach every single day, surfed for like an hour or two, usually some fish tacos after or Taco Bell on PCH, you mm -hmm. know, or like oh, the yeah. Wendy's in Culver City. We did a little lunch. Uh, there was no traffic because no one was going anywhere. So it's pretty incredible. Um, nowadays, with the gas prices, it's not really like <laughs> yes. I can do that. It's like a $50 trip, you know? So uh, my routine now is I try to figure out some reason to go to a coffee shop, whether it be like one email I need to send, you know, yep. like... All right, I'm gonna go. AirPods in, get you know, cold brew, a black cold brew every day. I send this one email I need to send, which is like maybe billing for a, a week of a tour or like whatever. Uh, and that's it. So after I do that, I feel like I've accomplished everything for my day. Mm -hmm. uh, and then beach sometimes. Um, been doing a lot of swimming pools lately. Have a couple friends that have pools, so that's a good scenario when they're not working. We're in the pool uh, um these days i'll take an hour to just play some bass maybe if i have drum stuff coming up i might go to the rehearsal space and play for an hour or two uh probably not as much as i should as much as i pay to have a lockout and barely yeah. ever use it yeah. uh and then usually kick around watch a documentary or something try to find something interesting on youtube you know and then, you know, in L.A., like, it's Tuesday morning right now. Monday night was a full-on event. You know, there was a residency, a great friend, Mac and Gold. Shout-out to Mac and Gold, amazing singer, songwriter, guitar player. Just finished her residency at the Echo last night, full mm. circle. Uh, and so it's like a full-on hang till 2 in the morning. You know, a bunch of us just got back from stuff, so just a big group love fest. I feel like that's pretty much my routine when I'm not out is – Something during the day to fill time till it's hang till it's hang time with the homies and the other musicians and all the you know people sometime at a happy hour or after. Sure. Well, no, it's 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 good. It feels like you definitely prioritize leisure and uh, the ability to not think about all the shit you probably should be thinking about. Yeah, um, not think about music that much. <laughs> Try not to, at least. Hey, y'all, I wanted to, <laughs> I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely. It's loud. And it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show. But 
go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour. And I didn't keep it. And I regretted it ever since then, just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time. And I just kept thinking about it. And so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums. So the Ocean Patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, check it out, reach out to me, go to Vessel Drum Co. The Instagram's just at Vessel Drum Co and check it out. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Sounds great. Bye. All right. Well, let's just go into your talk. By the way, if I'm just rambling, if I'm just rambling, you could totally, or you can cut me off and or <laughs> no, edit this dude. down because. No, I, I love everything so far and I'll probably keep in this right now too. Um, okay. Because I have here. a communications, I have a communications minor and I feel like I'm not that good at it. You know, <laughs> I think I'm saying, um, a lot. Kinda... No, dude. I mean, I always tell people if you think like, if you ever feel really good about who you are as a person, really confident, record yourself like me in a conversation with people an hour every week and then try and edit that. That'll bring you right back down. So believe me, you yeah. are doing you are doing great. Um, and okay. then, uh, to be honest, I've always just hated the, fact the sound of my you... own voice too. So <laughs> the fact that you're just talking, <laughs> there are some people that they agree to do a podcast, which innately is an audio format. And they'll, they'll just mm -hmm. be like, I don't know. I like the hi-hat. I'm like, why'd yeah. you give me that as a choice if you have nothing to say about it? But no, I appreciate all the uh, enthusiasm you have. So um, let's just get into your top five. And as you said, this is chronological order uh, for you. So the album is yeah, thriller. Yeah, chronological, and it was, really, it was really hard for me, like I said, because I never really listened to music as a drummer. So I, this came more became more of like a chronological storyline of like important moments in my drumming uh journey you know well to be honest that's kind of what i want this to be and i'm happy you yeah. kind of grasped that because and you you were saying i'm not really a drummer's drummer i'm like i'm a, I'm a musician so you were kind of like i don't i'm happy that you have a perspective that is is laced with things outside of just I use this drum fill all the time because the right, left, right, right, <laughs> stick, whatever. It's just, I mean, which right. I, believe me, I'll geek out about that all day, but totally. it's not, yeah. So yeah, number one, album's Thriller. The release year is 1982. Artist is, of course, Michael Jackson. Song choice is Beat It. And the drummer is uh, Jeff Picaro. So take it away, and then we can listen to a little clip of that song if, if no one's ever heard of Beat It. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, again, like... I didn't know Jeff Picaro played drums on that until I looked it up. And furthermore, I didn't know who Jeff Picaro was till I was probably 25. You know what I mean? Like, so that was interesting to know. My mom, my mom's a great singer. My dad apparently used to play guitar at some point. Uh, but my dad, like, never really had a lot of music going on at the house. But my mom had a record player in the early 90s, and there was a handful of records like Barbara Streisand records and Christmas records and like kids records, but she had an original copy of Thriller. Mm. And I remember I was probably four or five years old and just opening it and seeing Michael there with the freaking tiger, you know, yeah. <laughs> yep. just chilling. He has the tiger on his lap. I'm like, wow, this is legendary. Uh, and then putting it on. Um, now, all these years later, I know it like opens with want to be starting something with at the time, I guess I just skipped over. I didn't know how to use a needle, you know, mm -hmm. so I was missing some hot. Like, I don't think I ever listened to Thriller on that record, or maybe I was just doing the B side. But Beat It, of course, starts with drums, right? Big, mm -hmm. heavy stuff. But what hit me about Beat It was the guitar solo. 
which I now know is Eddie Van Halen, or I figured out a couple of years later. And there's, of course, the iconic story that when he recorded it, the speakers caught on fire and this, that, and the other. But Oh, I, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't heard that. So the story is he calls in Eddie to play on Beat It, and on the first pass, the studio speakers catch on fire. <laughs> like shredding or like explode or something. So the first thing I noticed was, of course, down, 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 down. I was like, oh man, you know, like this is my first time hearing something sonically like that as a kid. And immediately was obsessed and wanted to be a guitar player. And furthermore, wanted to be Michael Jackson, you know? And it was the first, looking back now, it was the first moment I realized personally that I think more so than music, I've been drawn to entertainment my whole life. Um, which is back to the conversation of, I don't care what I'm playing. I just want to be an entertainer. No matter, I'll be a backup dancer if I knew how, you know, it's put me on the stage. And so that moved into my grandmother. She must've bought, I don't know. I don't know. She, she had this VHS tape of like all of his music videos for whatever reason. So, you know, beat it was on there jam. Remember the time there's like live footage, all the girls crying and like the full shebang. And I got, Oh, here's actually, I have this picture hanging up on my wall. My dad got me this little white guitar for my fifth or sixth birthday. You can see I'm wearing fingerless red gloves that my grandma made for me. I like the white headstock so, too. That's classy. Oh yeah. It was, I wish I still had this. I think I smashed this when I was like 13 to try to be funny. Of and course. now I'm really upset about it. Um, <laughs> so I got the guitar and I would stand in front of my grandma's, you know, big screen TV back in the day. That was like 55 inches deep. Mm, yeah. uh, and she would put on this, she would put on this Michael Jackson VHS and I would just stare at it with my little white guitar on and trying to do the dance moves and actually have the video somewhere. She got it converted to digital. Um, I should probably watch that soon. But what stri strikes me now about it all is I didn't know anything about fingering uh, on the fretboard, but if you watch the video, I'm playing along to like, like black or white, right? And I can't get the melodic part, the da -na 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 but my right hand is doing the rhythm perfectly. It's like, oh man, I was like really taking the concept of 16th notes as a six-year-old and applying it. And so now I realize that's where rhythm first became a part of, whether it be his dancing, whether it be the drums or whether it be the guitar parts, that's where I learned what rhythm, rhythm is on a whole. And, you know, you can see me in the videos dancing and it's like, oh, this little kid is discovering rhythm uh, more so the melody, even though he's obsessed with melody. So that was definitely the first awareness of one music in general two rhythm three being a performer and being an icon. Uh, you know, I was my grandma was like cutting up jeans for me and like doing my T-shirts with the fingerless gloves, and, like just learning the art of entertainment. Um, and that stuck with me for a super long time. And uh, even like to this day, I'll put on some of these songs and it's like super, it hits me really hard because it goes all the way back to that time. It's like, oh man, that was really like, was super important to this kid. Of course, never got to see him or anything, but. I know, me neither. Was like 18 when the This Is It thing was going to happen. I was like, I'm going to go to London. Like I had any money, you know, <laughs> I got to do it. I'm going to go. How much are tickets? I'll be there. All his songs, but Beat It was the first one where I was had the headphones on with the vinyl started slapping, you know, and then that guitar solo. And I immediately had to get the guitar, I begged my dad, um, and then discovered rhythm.
and music and entertainment. All right. Well, here's here's a little bit of Beat It. Also, such a great intro sound. I know, like, dude, you know it's about something's about to go down. I mean, this is a heavy beat. So, like, even though the drums are just hitting two and two and four or four on the floor vibes, there's so many other rhythms happening over it. Uh, even like the it's like really syncopated, like almost polyrhythmic vibes. Which, of course, now that you, I know it's the Toto guys, it makes sense. Yeah, totally. You know. bird noise little bird noise before trap music did he invent that (laughs) (laughs) i mean that riff that riff so good Uh, the guitar that i got after this little white one when i was a kid when i was 11 is a red strat that i still have and i still play to this day and over covid i put the trem bar in i was like all right i'm learning beat it it's like the big dive bump not something you could really do without like a floyd rose or like a floating bridge scenario but i tried and then when it got to that crazy like tapping part i just i literally tapped out of learning it it was too, <laughs> it was too much too i wonder much. i wonder what take that was i mean it I mean, I perfect. wonder if it was take one where the speakers exploded, apparently. I wonder if that was it, you know? Yeah. Who knows? Did Michael hum that melody to him and just, like, give him? Or is, or is Eddie like, let yeah. me, let me. I got this, dude. I think it was definitely it was definitely probably improv. Because when I tried to learn it and you get deep into the middle section, a lot of it, like, goes over bar lines. And, like, the, the notation doesn't actually really make sense in, like, a real, if you were trying to grit it out. You know, it's like... Mm. 30 second notes that kind of change over to the next bar and it doesn't really because he's just tapping galore and it just kind of falls it's like all the drummers are like just land on the one dude do whatever you want land exactly. on the one. it's kind of exactly. like that he's just doing whatever and he lands on the one and that's that's the solo brian may does that a lot too so yeah just hit the one baby that's yeah. all that matters right all right. Well, I'm really excited about number two. Um, Woo! Let's get into it. The God. Right, so, so the album is Significant Other. The release year is uh, 1999. Artist is Limp Biscuit. The song choice is yes. just like this. And Opening I'm going to quote you: the one and only John Otto. Now, no one. Well, actually, sorry. Technically, it's track two because the intro is is kind of Weird. an intro, yeah, yeah. exactly. But um, yeah, man. Let's let's talk about John Otto. 
the guitar riff, Wes Borland, come on. snare tone i searched for this so hard as a kid i just didn't know what to do Here's the real deal. Anyone my age, or I'm sure we're pretty similar age, 30s, yeah. early to mid 30s. Yep. Anyone our age, any instrument comes out and tries to hate on Lit Biscuit and say that they weren't inspired somehow by that band is just full of shit. I understand some kids' parents did play them the Beatles and Led Zeppelin when they were kids, but it was impossible to ignore <laughs> if you liked music and you watched MTV or like anything. And like when Nookie came out in the music video and everything, like, you just can't ignore that these dudes were bringing hot fucking shit to the, mm -hmm. to the game. Um, I was obsessed with 311, went to their concert when I was eight, mm -hmm. smelled weed for the first time. You know, my mom <laughs> took me in. So I was like, what is that? Like, oh, there are people who are doing drugs. Uh, <laughs> 311, Chad Sexton is an icon drummer. Uh, but at that time, still, I wanted to be Nick Hexum. I wanted to play guitar. I wanted to shave my head and get a ball chain necklace and die a blonde. Like I mm. didn't care, but bit limp biscuit was the first one. And this is also going back to like growing up in new Orleans when the only thing cool was hip hop and you wanted to be a rock kid as well. And look, I, I had all the cash money records. I had the first Lil Wayne record. I had it all loved it. But limp biscuit was the first one, you know, it's like a rap song. And it was the first kind of, this is when I first heard drums in that, capacity and like super syncopated and super like all the tight hi-hat stuff uh as the first time i really noticed drums on a record because even though 311 the drums are great and corn the drums are great and all that stuff i was still focused like i had you know posters of monkey and head from corn because they were the guitar players and i wanted us ivan as seven strings so bad and maybe it was because i couldn't play what westmoreland was playing i was like oh i actually can't do that so let me uh <laughs> let me jump on the drums and uh but this was fifth probably fourth or fifth grade this came out and i just like you know and nookie of course was huge and it finally bridged the gap for a kid that was like like i wore black fingernail polish to school in third grade i begged my mom for it for christmas because marilyn manson had done it mm. and i was just like this alt kid and i was like really pushing the boundaries in you know a suburb in louisiana outside of new orleans where hip-hop was king and then immediately was like i can't do this i actually I don't like rock music, but then this one was the one that was like, okay, we can really bridge the gap. And every you found out, you know, years later, everyone was rocking with it at home. You know, even if they were trying to be cool at school, everybody was listening to something yep. in this vein. Uh, it also coincidentally lines up with when I did middle school march or middle school marching band, and when I got my first drum set it was like fifth, sixth. So it made sense to now try to learn these John Otto beats that were 
insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I could. I think I could play him. I don't know for sure, but I think I was playing him at the time. Um, you know, I had a boom box and I'll just turn it up. This is like before head, I knew headphones really existed. You know, I'll just turn it up so loud and just play along. My brothers hated me. Yeah. Uh, but listening to that now, even it's like, man, I really loved, I would just daydream about being in Limp Bizkit one day, you know, on any instrument and the snare tone, dude, I guess I didn't know what a drum key was at that age. So I just kept asking for different snare drums for Christmas to try to get this out. I remember I had a piccolo. I got a popcorn snare. I got a pork pie, something or other. Like every Christmas, like what 200 bucks can I spend on a snare to try to get this Deftones Limp Biscuit 311 tone? Yeah. And I never achieved it because I just don't think I was cranking them tight enough or I was too scared. <laughs> um, all right. So number three. Uh, game yeah. day faves, uh, LSU Tigers. So yeah, you mentioned going to college. Um, it was LSU, and uh, the artist is the LSU uh, marching band, and uh, yeah, drumline cadences. And so you said the drummer was you eventually. And yeah, yeah. It was me eventually. I don't know who was on the line when this was recorded. Oh yeah, go Tigers, baby. Love it. It's about four minutes long, so we could. I don't know how uh, fun this is to listen to for the non drumlined ear. Maybe it is, though. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a drumliner, and that was fun, but yeah, let's, yeah. Just talk, let's just talk about it. So I'm in sixth grade. I started band at school, snare drum, concert band. And we, in New Orleans, you had marching band in middle school because we were doing Mardi Gras parades and stuff, which a lot of middle schools don't have that, but we're out there, 11 year old kids walking seven miles, you know, <laughs> playing a drum. And we, you know, our band room was in this trailer in the back, which they, a couple years later, built like a million dollar facility at this middle school. I just wasn't there to enjoy it. Uh, and they had this Songs of LSU CD that maybe they just gave the schools as a promotion thing. And that was the first thing. And just hearing that marching snare drum tone, like being so tight and crisp, just even in that count off, shut, shut, shut. I was like, what is this? Mm. And then it immediately kicks off and it's polyrhythms all over the place and the bass drums are tuned and doing different notes and the quads are all over the place. And I was like, holy shit. Because at the time we, you know, we were playing marching snare drums, but they were cheap ones. They sounded like crap. And, you know, we could do a drum roll, but that's about it. And just hearing like the different rolls and all, like every root, all 42 rudiments are somewhere in that cadence because it's three minutes long and it stretches and there's all kinds of crazy, like, once I got there, finding out there's like, oh, there's like these uh, groups of 11, you know, 16th notes at a group of 11 over two counts. You know, how do you actually play that? You know, figuring out different stickings and blah, blah, blah. But so that really kind of sent me. And this is where I became a drummer. Truly, I got obsessed with the idea of marching band and drum corps. And I would get on my computer at home, early Internet and just look up college drum line. I'm like, what's Georgia Tech sound like? What does the University of Florida sound like? 
And I started planning my college experience in sixth grade based 100% on the drum lines and mm. what their cadence sounded like. You know, it's just psycho. But so did middle school, did it all through high school. Um, so in that, like football becomes a huge part of your life because you're there every game and you're you're basically part of the thing. So I became a huge football fan. I was like, you know, Louisiana State at the time was winning national championships. I was like, I'm going there. That's it. I'm going there. I'm playing in the drum line. I'm going to go watch all the football games. We're going to travel. It's going to be great. So I like manifested this dream. And I wasn't, I was good, but my music programs are not well-funded and they're not like, if you're in Dallas, Texas, like you're doing drumline competitions and you have private teachers and all this. So we were kind of like podunk, you know, we had to like, fit, I had to go on early YouTube and look up like how to play this, you know, and figure mm-hmm. it out, learn, get books. And so even going into my freshman year of college, I was like, I'm not going to make this drumline. Like, this is a serious thing, but I'm going to go for it, you know? day one of auditions got the last snare drum spot freaked out and then immediately started doing it and then it's like friendly competition with your boys next to you like who can play this better who's going to play the hotter lick but it's also a team thing like we have to all play it exactly the same you have to learn the stickings the same height of your sticks the same like to play it clean you all have to be playing at the same dynamics and volume so it's a huge just you know it was over but 12 years middle school high school college of just playing drums every single day and learning fundamentals and rudiments and technique and practice schedules and it was my first taste of traveling and getting paid to play music you know we'd get on a bus and go to georgia and play a football game or we'd fly we played in seattle university of washington we flew a hundred of us to seattle and like had a day off you get per diems you know it's like touring I'm sure like, Whoa, yeah. this is you get money to play drum and they buy your food? Like, come on, this is great. That particular CD just sent me on that drumline journey. And even like at that moment, like I'm gonna go to Louisiana State University, I'm gonna be on the drumline, I'm gonna play snare drum, and eventually ended up being section leader in the full nine and like got to wear the extra chords on my sleeves. Yeah, I got to do like all the stuff. All those dudes are lifelong friends. Um, so it was a really incredible experience over that whole time. and was really like when I was like, I'm a drummer now, put guitar away for 10 years, you know, didn't play it again until high school, really. And just, and even when I got to college, everyone knew I played guitar a little bit. So we would jam sometimes, but had a bunch of the dudes on drumline. Also, you find out when you go to a school like that, that every, there's one of you from every city in Louisiana, you know, (laughs) you turn up, you're like, I'm the only guy that can play drums and guitar. And it's like, oh no, I play, I rip guitar too. And oh, I love Limp Bizkit and 311. Oh, we're the same guy. Uh, all right, so number four, the album is They're Only Chasing Safety. The release year is 2004. Artist is Under Oath, and the drummer is Aaron Gillespie. I think a lot of guys my age, this is, again is another one, it's like, you know, Christian hardcore band, but like they were the ones just crushing it at the time in that era when like mm-hmm. this was the thing. And like when this came out, it's like the top sonic and like the best playing in that genre that I had heard ever and probably still to this day. All right, so here is It's Dangerous Business, Walking at Your Front Door. Also crazy good drum tone. Oh, yeah. Quite ringy snare when you really listen, huh? Yeah. 
Also, something about this record I always loved is that the cymbals aren't that loud. Yep. Even though it's like a hardcore band. Just kind of adds that white noise to it. Yeah, it lets it, it lets it breathe a little bit. Song where the drums cut out the longest, huh? <laughs> yeah, thanks, dude. This is a great little drum part, too. It's interesting choices, too, you know? Totally. Locked in, locked in the groove. I wasn't a church kid or brought up religious, but the Christian hardcore shit was popping, and they mm -hmm. were always the best. For whatever reason, the dudes that played in church were just better. They wrote better songs. They wrote, you know, it was just like better musically. And so we were seeing this at the time when I met Andrew, and we were like playing these shows, and you would hear these bands, and then that record dropped, and you're like, oh, these guys are on like the major label. Like it sounds good. That was the first time I ever had anyone do like six tuplet build that he does right in the intro of that song, which I do that like to this day. Yeah. The old like uh, paradiddle diddle over the tom to the snare and down the thing. Uh, first time I really seen or heard somebody smash drums like that. And in and, and that era, it was kind of like, how hard can you play? Mm -hmm. That shows that you're the guy. So I was in like a screamo band where I was playing drums at the time, just doing double bass and the whole thing. But my thing was like, throw your hair around and hit them really hard and that will make an impact uh on the viewer because it's entertainment right sure. it's like the entertainment aspect of it and he kind of is like doing the musical drumming thing where it's like more about you know it's still rhythmic but it has a melodic movement to it, it has a guitar player kind of it kind of shines you know i was mm -hmm. always about being shiny i always wanted to be the guy you know i always wanted to be the guy so yeah, and this was in a time where I didn't care. There weren't really, there was more iconic drummers in that time than there were like singers or guitar players because all the guitar players were doing like drop D chuggy stuff, you know, and the drummers were the guys that were going off. Yeah. So that was kind of a really important era for me as a drummer. Like, okay, I'm a drummer and I'm in a band now and I hit hard and people are like, oh my God, this guy rips, you know, our, our MySpace band is going to get as big as Under Oath. Just give us <laughs> some time, you know, sure. we're going to get a van or and then I was like, hey, guys, I'm going to college to play in drumline. They're like, what? Uh, <laughs> and that was pretty much the end of that. But yeah, Under Oath. I, I was just at a festival with them. Same story. They played the next day. Missed it. And again, even just like the long hair, the long red hair, like being a showman, being a character, being an entertainer behind the drums more so than just like, oh, you play drums well. I'm super into that kind of stuff. He's the front man. You know, he's not, but he is the front is, man of that band. He is the you front know, man. He's yeah, the yeah. guy. He's the guy. And whenever you see them, it's like, oh, that's the guy. Which to me was always being the competitive little shit I was. I always wanted to be the guy. Really treat the stuff like sports, you know? Yeah, really yeah. do. I can see you being the backup dancer and just being like, it's still all about me. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, oh, I'm going to dance better because I watched Michael Jackson videos when I was a kid. Like, watch me. Yeah, yeah. All right. Just for the sake of time, because I don't want to take up too much yeah. of yours. Uh, number five. I mean, I'm... 
you're gonna have to edit this i'm just talking way too long i'm sorry Dude, everybody no 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 whoever listens to this i am so appreciative of and i'm not agreeing with you that you're talking too much but people that do like to talk this is perfect so thank you yeah. man thank you okay, sure very yeah easy. <laughs> sure um all right so the number five is is miguel at the itunes festival in london 2012 um obviously the release year is 2012 artist is miguel <laughs> repeating yeah. myself a lot so uh the, uh the song choice is strawberry amazing and the drummer is rj kelly obviously this is the probably i hope this is the most random five things you've it ever is. heard because it is, they yes. are random but this one i was fresh out of college or maybe i was still like finishing up i was living in baton rouge i was working as a stagehand for this local production company i'd go set up the taylor swift show at the arena i'd go set up you know and every once in a while i was lucky enough to get tossed with the backline guys and this one miguel came uh Trey songs or something. It's like Trey songs headlining and Miguel was, this was before Adorn like really hit. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was thrown with the, the drum tech that day. So I was like watching him set up and I was asking him questions. And I was like, how do you do this? Like, how do you even drum tech? Like, how do you get in this world? And he said to me, you gotta live in LA, dude. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna take that to heart. And so I wanted to see Trey songs cause I like R and B. I'm a huge melody guy. So I turned up to the concert early and Miguel opened and they came out and this is when he was, I don't know if you know much about him, but he's gone through a couple of different looks. This, he was doing like the high top fade. He kind of looked like Elvis was wearing a suit and his whole backing band was just slaying and having fun and dancing. And they came out and the first song was, so this record is the live recording of that set that I saw. And the first song was Strawberry Amazing, which I'd never heard. And it, it was very Michael-esque. It had all these moves that went with syncopated fills that this guy rj who i found out later was his name was doing and he was gospel chopping all over the place and i was just like whoa this is sick like these guys are just his backing band but they have a personality and they're throwing down and they're having fun which i didn't realize was a thing mm -hmm. at all until i saw this show i thought oh yeah you might be in a backing band and you wear all black and you stand in the back and like the artist gets the shine and this was like a big aha moment for me like oh you move to la you get in a band with an artist and if lord willing they're cool you get to have a personality and fun, have fun mm -hmm. and make money and tour Probably the first time I heard backing tracks. You know what I mean? Like, sure. RJ's holding it down. Sounds great. Dude, he's I think he plays for American Idol now, so he's a he's a dude for sure. Do you know my name, baby? 
Michael might have done, you know, like I had never seen like a modern R&B show. I liked his music already. I knew some of the songs in the set and then seeing like, obviously this is in the, the big YouTube days when we were all watching the Gospel Chops videos and we were all watching Thomas Pritch. I mean, really the biggest record for me as a drummer is YouTube. I watch so many videos, you know, and like, dude, yeah, Chris Coleman's my favorite drummer of all time. You know, like dudes I was watching on YouTube, just slaying. Uh, and this was the first time I saw a gig where a dude was applying that musically with the whole band. And you could tell there's definitely an empty somewhere that had the intro done and, you know, they had tracks and it was like a package. Um, and so that particular concert, and I had seen it cause I had worked all these big shows, but none of them really hit like that. The entertainment was fully there. That sent me down a rabbit hole of like watching interviews, watching YouTube, like looking up these drummers who I might not know their name, but I knew were working, you know, like, yeah. Oh, you can work and no one has to even know you and you can be in this cool thing. And I credit seeing that show and like Googling stuff a hundred percent to why I moved to LA. Cause then I looked up like, okay, move to LA. Then what? And it's like interviews with dudes like, well, it's five year town, you know, after five years, you'll probably like meet enough people. Sure as shit, dude, no lie the fifth my exactly fifth year living in la i worked in music 100 percent. it was yeah. the first year of my life and it literally was in five years and then COVID happened not long you know a year and a half after so it kind of slowed it down but i haven't looked back and like all the things i learned from just seeing that show and doing a shit ton of research were all true <laughs> like somehow like to a t you know move to la wait five years so cool cool waiting it's year four like doing <laughs> some on. stuff but like yeah year five boom 100 percent income in music i was like whoa those guys were not lying. It's like a formula. I followed that drummer, RJ Kelly, on. we obviously don't know each other, but I've watched him go from like, you know, doing Miguel for a long time to, I think he plays for American Idol now, and just being like, oh, I saw that guy probably when he was a little younger than me starting his journey of like LA touring dude. It just popped with an artist that got huge and then like, you know, just kept moving. And that's kind of, I think all of our working musicians' goal and dream, right? Is to just stay working, yeah. progress into bigger better maybe not even better but maybe more stable gigs or like yeah something that can keep us home more if we have families or you know and it's just an ever-evolving industry for the working musician in whatever capacity you might be in so that was a cool uh moment well going back to you know everyone every musician's goal you saying you like to beat the guy on the stage mm -hmm. is that does that transfer over to i guess my question is do you like being the, I don't want to say side guy because, but I'll just say it, the side guy yeah, that side gets, guy. To, gets to work, um, but then you're not really part of it. You can kind of be your own individual self outside of it. Or do you, is your goal to one day be in the band that when you're off the stage, you're also the guy that people want to, does that make sense? You know, like, do, or do you yeah, enjoy no, the side guy? Once I got to college drumline and there's so many of us that were all good. And it became more community based and less like one v one, you know. Yeah, that's when I learned like, oh, you can. You're 
role in a greater thing. And, you know, once you try your bands in your 20s where you, you have a more of a creative thing, and then when I, this whole RJ Kelly, Miguel things, when I realized, oh, you don't, you can be die as long as you express yourself in the backing band. You don't have to just wear all black and like you can have a personality and you can be part of the entire show. But of course, you're not Miguel, the dude, you know, who won Grammys and is like a star. Uh, but yeah, that's when I kind of put that ego away. I was like, cool, I'll move to LA. And obviously, I'm going to be in my own band with my friends, but I'm totally fine with getting hired to do whatever, you know? So I don't need to be the guy. I just want to be one of the one of the guys in the whole thing mm-hmm. and be a part of the group or and express myself and my personality on stage. But then at the end of the day, like, we're talking now. I, I'm in a situation where now I'm doing multiple gigs on different instruments. I like that. I don't really want to be, unless it was like, oh, we're putting you on retainer for 10 years. Yeah. Okay. But uh, for the most part, I like the idea of being just a, I won't say side guy, let's say hired guy or hired gun, right? I like, I like the idea of being hired to do different things because then I get to enjoy different instruments and different shows and different ways of performing and different hangs different people different community yeah. different crews like i love even in my time teching like i the crew dudes love i love being on crew it's not as fun because you're not playing but like the community and just working hard for like the the benefit of the entertainment um you know my first gig i worked for at the drive-in like i got a call like oh shit hey do you want a drum tech for tony at the drive-in i was like damn right uh <laughs> yeah i do and that's how i got into teching you know we met at a coffee shop and he's like cool. You're my guy. And I went to Europe for like three weeks in South America with them and just turned up. They're like, all right, go set up the drums. I'm like, okay, I got this. I got this. You know, like, and I sat behind a dummy cab and watched Omar shred and Cedric jump off stuff. And, you know, Tony, a legend, great friend still just like really got me into the music business, you know, and like seeing that I could be a crew, I could be a drum tech forever and have a life, you know, you could just make money and like have a good time and travel. Um, so that was like a super legendary experience for me, even just being in LA and finding work that involved drums, you know? And it kind of goes back to when I was talking to the tech for Miguel. He's like, yeah, I live in LA. I was like, okay, that's it. He's like, yeah, that's literally <laughs> really it. it. Yeah. Or Nashville or New York, you know, one of the big three. That's literally it. Just be here, be around. I was like, cool. I'm going to do it. It took a couple of years, but you know, so yeah, no, I, I like being a guy. I like being a guy that gets to play an instrument, whatever one it may be, you know? Well, I think that's a great place to, to wrap things up, man. Um, thank you so much for being on the show, dude. This was just really fun, and I, I, I love the fact that we didn't really talk all about drums. Yeah, we barely, we didn't even really talk about, <laughs> I just talked about guitar and playing bass and wanting to be a backup dancer. Just, just say the word drum, tension, and tuning a bunch, and I'll just kind of sprinkle it in post. Exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> All right, brother. Well, I appreciate you, man. That was really fun. Yeah, dude. Ditto. I'll talk to you later, man. All right. Peace out. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. 
The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye!